Hey guys, welcome back to part two of Private Parts. Let's get into the rest of the episode with Lauren Martin. With NHS, yeah. when you said that private healthcare skip queues... Yeah, they do. ...and get better medication... Yes. ...they, they 100% do? Yeah, they they were so nice the governing body will say right you um there is a certain drug that we're not putting in the nhs that's not open to the public but then you can go privately and you could be like referred to a clinic in germany and then come back and have treatments here because they've all been signed off and i've seen people be cured from things that they were told they had weeks to live from and like certain you know there are certain procedures, radio, radiotherapies and that, that are very cutting edge and new, mm. but there will only be a certain amount of machines around the country that are able to do them. So there'll be a really long queue. And then you also have to meet certain standards and qualifications to get them It's the same as trials because they're so underfunded. But then if you're in the private healthcare system, obviously there's money going into it and it's pharma, right? Mm. So it's access, it's quicker access. It's, it's, it's state-of-the-art tech, it's state-of-the-art meds. When it comes to, in, with chemotherapy and the medication around that, can you get better and worse? Or is it just one standard, hey, this is chemotherapy? I mean, this could be, yeah. I'm just playing dumb. No, 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 you know. can't, it's the same, right? But this is how I try and describe it. So I was treated at the Royal Marsden, which is a cancer centre of excellence in the UK. I was treated as, as an NHS patient, right? And you're, and you're, when you're being treated, you're in a ward? When you're treated and you're having chemo, you're in, if you're in an NHS, you're in a big room and there's like 30 chairs so there's, you're watching other people go through it oh. and you're seeing nurses and stuff, right? So if somebody has a reaction to a drug, an alarm goes off, a curtain comes round, there's adrenaline, put, you, the amount of times I nearly had a panic attack yeah. and I had to hold it in because I didn't want to set anybody else off. You can't like, you can't really break down because you'll set someone else off. You're very conscious of other people, what they're going through. And also as a young person in the ward, you're getting a lot of looks because people like, they assume I was there with my dad when actually it was me in the chemo chair and they were like, what? Because you, th- you were 31 at the time, right? I was 31. Yeah. But if you're in a private ward, you get a curtain, you get a, you get a chair, you get privacy. Get a room. Like my lovely Deb, like dancing around her chemo pump. I loved that she did that, but she was able to do that because she, she had a private space. I wouldn't have been dancing around my chemo pump in that room. My God, what is it like when you're sitting in a room with 30 other people and everyone is going, is it, is it, um, is it, is there a sense of camaraderie or is it a sense of sadness? Or camaraderie, is it... but it's really sad when you start seeing a chair empty and you don't know if someone's died or if they've just finished treatment, that's quite hard. But it is that thing, if you get to all know your nurses, they become your family. Like I really miss the sandwich lady. I used to always get my tuna sandwiches. She always knew, she'd come around, she'd put one down and give me a bit of extra chocolate. Loved her. But it was just those little familiarities and it's like, it's just, again, it's just showing, it's it's not that the treatments are kind of, but the experience is. Yeah. Have you always been this passionate about th- things in general? Yes. Always. I, I am like, oh my God, I can't believe you said that, the drama. Um, yeah, no, I do, if I care about it deeply, I feel things deeply. So and you're I'm authentic really to yourself, angry. that's such a great way to be. Yeah, I just stop caring now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but that happens as we get older, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I just, just stop caring. I mean, completely. I would never be an arse. I would never say something to upset somebody. The thought of upsetting somebody with the way I've behaved or things I've said um, that could have been out of line, like, I break my heart. If you tell me I've done something wrong, I'll always make amends for it. But if you just don't like me for who I am, then cool. Brian, you spoke about panic attacks and things like that. Then the mental health side of things. Mm. 
Did you suffer with anxiety? Did you get depressed? Did you have... I've had terrible mental health my whole life. Have you I really? got Yeah, I got, I got diagnosed with severe anxiety and depression when I was 24. And back then, no one talked about it. I thought that meant I was going to commit suicide because that's all you ever saw about it. It's such a different world now when we talk about mental health. How old are you? 24, so I'd have been... Yeah, it's a, it's a completely mm. different time. To, just to relate yeah. to you, I had a panic attack when I was 22, 21. Mm. Didn't know what the fuck was going on. I thought I was dying. I thought I was dying. Yeah. And didn't know what was going on, but I just told no one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't know what's going on. I just kept it, kept it all in. Well, I kept going back and forth, back and forth to the doctor. Do um, you think you're broken? Yeah. And then when I got told it was depression, I remember going home, bless my dad. I, I thought he was at work and I sat on the sofa and I was just like, oh my God, like crying. And then I heard the key in the door and I was like, fuck, dad's home. And I didn't want him to see me. Like I didn't want to tell him. And he came up and he was like, what's wrong? And I went, Dad, I've got depression, I'm broken, like, I'm broken. He went, you're perfect, come in, give me a big cuddle. And that was, like, that was it. And it's always been an evolution of trying to find ways to manage it. It's a day-to-day -day thing. Mm. Um, like, and so, obviously, with cancer, that exacerbates it. But what it's actually had to make me do is really take care of my well-being. Like, I can't muck about with it because one little thing that I leave unmanaged could then unravel and then I, I just get really sick in the head. Not sick in the head as like... No, but you do, you get... Is it your anxiety or your depression or is it the mixture of two which is worse? Than I one feel one? like I have... So I'm medicated now. I take I take Sertraline every day, which okay. is one of the best decisions I've ever made. Well done, congrats. Thank you. I I taken it two years ago. And all it's done is I now operate at a level of equilibrium. I used to operate into fight or flight for years. My default was fight or flight. Yeah. So I was constantly like, <gasps> like jittery. I was like constantly. You don't realise. Now I sit there, I'm like, oh my God. God, how did I live like that for so long? Um, it's, it's, it's um, yeah, it's insane. It's, yeah. I, 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 I think I, I think I mentioned before, I went through a bit, when lockdown happened, I went through a real anxiety because mm. I didn't know what the hell was going on. And, and I got put on these sort of anti-anxiety medication and um, it was, it was like the, someone turned the lights on yeah. and I was like, hang on a second. Yeah. This is how people function. My mum said to me, she went, Laura, this is what normal people feel. <laughs> She was like, this is what, like, if you can call anything normal, but I think it's just having, it's not normal, it's balance. For me, it creates balance, so it's measure. So now when I make decisions, I'm not reacting. Like, when I make decisions now, I feel like I'm making them from a measured point of view. But but not to sound like a therapist, but it feels like there's a diagnosis of ADHD with... Babe, there, <laughs> there are diagnostics in the works, honey. I'm an unsolved would... case at the moment. They don't know what to do with me. You would. That's what I would. I would mm. f feel that, and and that would. So, did you ever have health anxiety? Or yes. Did... So so and so when again bringing back. I'm sorry, I keep bringing it back. When you then get diagnosed with cancer. That, did you always think, well, I brought this on myself? No, I thought I knew it. I knew it. It was going to happen. I knew it. But the thing is, you look back and it's like, I had really bad health anxiety because I had a lot of loss when I was quite young in my formative years. So I had one when I was really young at primary school, a girl at my school died. And then she when... Just, what died? Just Meningitis. It was back oh. in the day. But it's my first thing I ever remember of a death and then being aware of mortality when I was like seven. Yeah, crazy. And then when... I was 16, we lost my uncle really young. He was only 39, I'm 38, so that blows my mind. Um, and then six months later, a friend of mine was murdered. So at 16, Whoa. yeah, at 16, I was like, hello, Whoa. death's a thing. So I had to, and again, no one spoke about mental health then. So I used to have panic attacks because I was convinced I was gonna die on my own. 
that's what I was convinced because of what I'd l like seen around me and felt. So that just kind of was always in the back of my head. And then it probably like... Sense of doom always there. Boom, 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 I was, boom, boom. I have always been aware that I, I'm going to die one day from the age of like seven. It's horrible. But now it's like I use it as like a tailwind. Because yeah, we are. And that's a given. So live. Are you scared of death now? I don't want it to happen soon. And I don't want it to happen in a nasty way. But I do feel like I'm more accepting of it than I ever have been. I'm not afraid to talk about it. It's almost like, <laughs> this is going to sound really dark and deep, but I'm going there. Okay, there. I almost feel like when it happens, and I hope it's when I'm old and I get told, you're sick, you've got time, I think I'll feel relief because I'm like, right, I know now, rather than really? waiting for it. Yeah, I feel like I've been waiting for it for my whole life. That's deep. So if someone said, if I said to you now, um, I can tell you how you die or when you die, what would you take? How or when? How or when? You only have one choice. Ooh, maybe when. You would pick when. Because then at least I know that rather than worrying about, is it now, is it now? I just, I think I would have to take how. Really? Yeah, I just don't know if I could, oh, I don't know if I, I don't think I would want to know. But again, but again, I'm anxious about future and health and different things like that. So. I think I've just been so close to death and I've yeah. seen a lot of death and I've watched it happen and I've seen different ways of dealing with it. And I think I know how I would, my thing is I, I'm going to do like, this is literally, I'm going to write a book about this. I want to explore our relationship to death as a society because I feel like the issue that we have is that we put so much emphasis on birth and life coming into the world. You literally arrive here, you're a blob of cells you have no connection to anyone other than your mother and your father's sperm that's it that is it right when you leave this planet you have all this love all these connections all these memories all these marks you've made on this world yet when people are dying we shut them in rooms and we pretend it's not happening we should be celebrating life and we should be celebrating the end of our lives in a way different way i feel like allowing people to be present at the end of their life and live the last few weeks months how they want to and being more comfortable in them having these conversations with us, we're doing justice to it. Mm. Like genuinely, like I just think about how precious life is and the thought of just like it all being in hushed tones. Like I want to go out on a party, mate. Like it's, we're it's, going out. You're so right. Like I, I saw this amazing thing and I, and I, it was, I, it was on Instagram. I don't know who it was, but they were talking to someone and, the, and someone was talking about death. And I think she must've been unwell and she mm. was probably terminal and mm. she said and I, the question was something like how do you how do you deal with it mm. and she said well before life mm. if someone had said to me hey you can go to this place and you're going to experience love and you're going to experience hate but you're going to experience laughter and sweets and mm. cuddles and you're going to experience being able to run and play sport and you can do all these amazing, there's going to be hard times, but there's going to be these amazing times, mm -hmm. but you only get to go there for a short time, only a little bit. Would you do it? And she said, a hundred percent. And if you look at life that way, yeah. it doesn't matter how long or how short you get to spend on this amazing. It's, it's what you do. It's what you do with it. And it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And that's what I think. I think if we had that attitude to death, I think people would live much fuller, happy, satisfied lives. I think we'd be kinder to each other and there'd be more tolerance in the world. Do you know what I mean? But do do you think that um, do you think unhappiness and trauma and death and destruction is just part of life, and yeah. we almost just have to sort of go. We have to accept that as well. Well, it's yin and yang. It's light and dark. 
like everything, there's a duality, right? Yeah. And like, we wouldn't appreciate life and love and people as deeply, I think, if we knew they'd be around forever. You know, we wouldn't appreciate the good times if we didn't experience bad times. Like, there has to be something to measure it against. Mm. And it is part of life, but I think it's the way, the reasons for it. Like, some things are out of our control, right? Like certain like illnesses like cancer, I didn't cause my cancer, it came along and it was out of my control. But there's some things that we can control and I think that's how we show up in the world and how we treat other people and what what we do in the world. Mm. That's what I think is the key. Because there's always going to be the dark, but it's how we sh outshine it almost. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's a great way to look at it. Because that's what I think. I just think like when I do go to sleep, have a nice long nap, I want to know that the mark I've left on this world is a really positive one mm. and that people will speak of me and they'll speak of me like, oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's what we can hope for. Yeah, it's all we can hope for. I have this thing at the moment, I don't know why, it's quite morbid, but I just keep, um, I, I, I've got to that point. I always, always worried about death. Like, yeah. I remember as a kid, I, I've said this again before, but I, I watched The Lamb Before Time. Do you remember The Lamb Before Time? Do I remember The Lamb Before Time? <laughs> Doe, when he starts calling for his mum. Yeah, I know. And trees on Petrie. Oh, Petrie. And all this. It was just so great. And I, I remember going to bed one night and being so scared about dying because dinosaurs were in heaven and there'd be a sharp tooth. And if, if sharp, because everyone goes tooth. to heaven and so sharp tooth would attack. So I, I also had this like understanding of like, death and things like I've had grandparents who've died but yeah. no one you know not um, my mum or my dad mm. had, you know touch wood I haven't had that but um I now got to this sort of place and I think god you know I've just got married and I want to have kids and the reason why I have kids because I want my parents to see the mm. kids and oh my god my parents might not be here when mm. and and it scares me a lot yeah it, it really upsets me and I, I I'm in this zone where I sometimes think I think if, it, if there's nothing after this yeah if I don't get to see my mum again yeah or my dad, that's it. That yeah. would really suck. And I think a lot of people listening is probably are dealing with grief or have dealt mm. with grief or might have to deal with grief. How do you deal with grief? Because, you know, with you, me and the mm. big C, you know, you're co mm. you've, you've experienced a lot of death. I have. And you know what? It's so weird you saying that. So I'm not religious at all, right? I'm more spiritual. I believe in a soul. Like you're sat there, you're skin and bone, but you are Jamie because of who you are, mm -hmm. your soul, right? And I'm like, I mean, I'm a very realistic mystic. Like I love moon cycles, love the astrology. I love energy. Transfer of energy is a legit scientific thing. Like we said, you walked in the room, you feel the energy off each other, right? It's yeah. like palpable. But where does that go? So I don't necessarily believe there's a heaven and everyone's hanging out there sitting on clouds going, yo, yo, yo. But I do believe that there's this higher vibration that maybe we can't tune into, like dogs and that can. You know, when they look at things, they hear things mm. or like mediums can read into it. I think there must be some kind of vibration mm. where that energy goes. Mm. So I don't think it's like necessarily them as a person and like a ghost, but maybe it's like your energies will meet again. And I think I don't really, like I feel people, I do feel energies around me and I do talk to people that aren't here anymore. I was going to ask that, do you? Yeah. He is a pro he was sent to me by Rachel and Deb. Do you want to hear this story? It's mad. Rachel and Deb were your co-hosts on me, uh, you, me, me and the big C. Yes, they were. So we lost Rachel in 2018. And, and that was Deb two months after it started, right? Two months. After the podcast had launched. Launched, yeah. So really soon on into it. So we actually recorded more episodes with Rachel's widower, Steve, than we did with Rachel, which is mad.
they, like Rachel said to Deb when she was dying, make sure you find Lauren a good fella, right? And Deb was like, sure. And then when Deb popped her clog, still no fella. I was like, great, great work, guys. Um, so it was really weird, actually. So I knew I wanted a dog beginning of last year. I just moved in on my own and I was like, right, now's the time. My manager at the time had got a schnauzer, and, which Ray is, and from a really lovely breeder and she was just lovely. And I knew that they'd be legit because, you know, the puppy farming in lockdown was horrific. Yeah, really so I was really scared of where to get a dog from. So I was on the wait list for a dog from this breeder. And when I was in Margate, it was like Deborah died, but it was like two, a week or so before her funeral. And... I was walking along Margate Promenade with my sister and we saw two schnauzers. And I was like, oh, there's a ray over there, Hayley, look. She was like, you'll have yours soon. And we sat down literally within like two minutes, sat down outside the pub, the barnacle on the seafront for those who know Margate. And I had a message flash up, Debbie the breeder, so her, the breeder's name is Deb, mm. which I never really like put two and two together until afterwards, um, was Deb the breeder. And I opened it up and there was a litter of puppies. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, Hayley, look. I was like, definitely want a boy, boy, boy. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, she messaged me. She said, look, I know you wanted a puppy, but I've got a six-month-old boy. We can't put him on shows anymore. He's a reject show boy, my Raymond. Um, he's too big for the category. He's got slightly bow legs. His tail's a bit wonky. I'm like, oh, bless him. She went, no obligation, but do you want to meet him? I said, yeah, he sounds like a right laugh. I'll meet him. <laughs> and honestly, as soon as I met him, I fell in love with him. He's got such a lovely, calm energy. But then the weird, the weird, weird bit, is we went for a walk um, so I could see what he was like. And the breeder, Deb, was talking to me about her daughter and how she lives up north and she does beauty and stuff like that. And I said, oh, where up north does she live? In Manchester? No, Nutsford. I went, that's where Rachel used to live. Does she do makeup? Which, no, she does hair. I was like, find out what salon she works in. She said, why? I went, because when Rachel got her life insurance payout, this is why she's a G, when she got her life insurance payout, she went and got really expensive princess hair extensions for her book cover and a pair of Jimmy Choo's. We salute. <laughs> I was like, yes, girl. I was like, but there can only be so many salons that do this kind of hair, right? In Nutsford, she went, I'll ask her. The breeder's daughter did Rachel's fucking hair. That is Tell me wild. he's not heaven sent. That is wild. Yeah. So I believe in that kind of stuff. Like I believe in signs and like little indicators. But do I believe there's a ghost? No. Do I believe there's a cloud of heaven? No. But do I believe... No, I don't necessarily believe in an afterlife, but I believe that the energies do something. There, there's some sort of... And I'm energy. sure we'll find out when we meet, when we get there. But I'm not going to worry about that too much now. I'd rather just focus on being here. Do you know what I mean? That's amazing. Isn't it cool? That is so cool. Yeah. So he's literally heaven sent. He's He's... D done me the world of good he has. Really? Yeah. He's amazing. I, I, you're, you're so good at you're speaking so openly about these things. I just, I, it's mm. so refreshing. Because oh, I, you know, it really is because I think more people need to learn from you and mm. talk about things, you know, especially we're talking about being on Cetraline. I think that's yeah. so important. Yeah. Well, just going back to that really quickly, why did you not decide to go on it sooner? I started taking a different antidepressant when I was like 25, 26 called Citalopram. Yeah. I started taking it, and then as soon as it really kicked in, I started taking A-class drugs. Because I just didn't feel anything. I wasn't scared. I felt nothing. It literally took away everything. I never used to take A-class drugs because I was, like, scared of them. And then all of a sudden, I was like, I feel nothing. I'll try this. That might make me feel something. And I, so I just, like, I stopped because I was like, I can't. You know that this. happened to a friend of mine? 
Same thing. Yeah, really. Same yeah. exact thing. So, and that's that is such. A, I, I can't. I, 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 I that happened to a, 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 a friend of mine. Exactly the same thing. Yeah. They started taking citalopram Ciprolex, right? Is yeah, this, yeah, I think yeah. Same, same sort of thing. And yeah. Yeah, they. they I felt nothing. So yeah. it's like almost like I because I didn't have that measure. It's like I got rid of my anxiety, but it also got rid of my inhibitions. And it just kind of made me feel nothing. And I wasn't really happy or sad or anything. So I feel like I like dabbled in A-class drugs a bit because I was like, oh, well, I want to feel. You want to feel something. Yeah. You want to feel that you'd like, yeah. like life. Yeah, but then that started having impact on the wider life, my relationships, my friendships, my job. Because I was doing the experiment and I probably should have done it at uni at 26. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like not the ideal time, Lauren, come on. Got a job to go to. Probably should go home now at seven. Oh, go straight to work, shall we? Like, that was the vibe. So I stopped taking it because I felt nothing. Yeah. And then I was scared of taking it for years. But then also I realised during the pandemic was we have been sold this idea that we can make ourselves well. So there's this mental health thing, right, about have a bubble bath, do yoga, do exercise. That's all lovely if you're having a bad day. If you're mentally ill, mm. which anxiety is, which depression is, which all these things are... <coughs> If you're mentally ill, a bubble bath isn't going to fucking fix it. Mm. I, when I went on it in 2021, I'd had probably one of the worst mental health crises I have ever had. My brain was so loud and busy. I wasn't okay. I was waking up bolt upright in the middle of the night, my heart pounding out my chest, convincing myself that people didn't love me or they were taking the piss or I wasn't respected or nothing good's ever going to happen again. And like literally all these voices in my head going, rah, rah, rah. Mm. like that's mental illness. That's not a bad day. And... I was not drinking, I was exercising, I was doing everything I knew to do to make myself well. I pushed back on work, I'd done loads of stuff. Mm. I was still not well, I could not make myself well. Why? Because I'm mentally ill. Mm. And not mentally ill in a way that's scary, like I have a mental illness. My brain is not the same way as everyone else is. The minute I started taking citalopram, it just went, and it's allowed me to manage all the other symptoms of whatever it is, because I'm still in diagnostics, it's a fun game, isn't it? Like, what's it gonna be? <laughs> Ooh, has she got multiple personalities? Maybe a bit of bipolar, ADHD? Let's find out. <laughs> but like, it's, I just feel really grateful that I'm, I was in a situation that I was able to take the meds, but I had spent, I had them in my drawer for four months because there was, even though I knew that they're really good for me and I don't judge anyone else, it wasn't even the fear, it was the stigma. Because the society is telling me I can make myself well. What's wrong with you? All you've got to do is this, this, and this, and you'll be well. There it's, is a there because there is a there is a lot of um, that sort of information flying around, which mm. is where it's your a decision. Mm. You can make the decision. Just think, think, mm. change that in your mind. But actually, no. This is what I think a lot of the self-diagnostic stuff is quite worrying. So you know, people go, oh, "That makes me anxious." Yeah, being anxious about something is very different from living with anxiety. Mm. Having you know, a natural process of like heartbreak or grief, you know, is very different from being tend like a tendency to depression. Mm. I think what's worry, I love that we're having these conversations now, but I think what we need to get very careful with and, and purposeful with and intentional with is the language you use around our mental well-being. Mm. Because you can be anxious, that's true, but having anxiety is a very different thing. Mm. So what we what we kind of do is I feel like sometimes we kind of take away from people who are struggling with mental illness because we're putting everyone in that box and it's completely different. Mm. It's a completely different ball game. Like, you know, you said you suffer with anxiety. It's, it's a constant, you'll have a really good time and then anxiety spike. Mm. And then it's like, if you don't manage that, then it'll go into depression and then it would be this and that. That is a constant management. That's not 
being anxious, like, oh, I feel a bit anxious today. Mm. You have anxiety. You're so right. Isn't it? Um, if someone listening to this, though, is is going through uh, maybe they've just been diagnosed with cancer mm. or someone or you, first question is if if people want to check. Oh, yeah. And make sure that mm. they're OK, because I don't think I check. I don't think a lot of people check. Mm. I don't think people really know what to do. What are the kind of like, top tips to go? Right. This is what you should do when checking. So first of all, do it regularly. I always say, set a note in your diary, do it at a time, like in your phone, a reminder. Do it at a time where you know you're probably going to be getting in or out of the shower. So a morning or an evening before you go to bed. I think Sunday evenings are great ones because you tend to not really be doing much. Mm. So if that reminder goes off and the kids are in bed, you're not distracted. You're like, oh yeah, actually I'll go and do that. I tend to do it when you're already going to be naked. So think about when you're getting dressed or when you're in the shower because that's a natural place to touch your body. I would say people say do it once a month. I'm always touching myself up, I'm afraid, because I'm naked. Why not? Let's just have a feel. Mm -hmm. I think the main thing is not to worry about how you're checking. It's that you are. So if you're checking breast tissue, it's like making sure that you are touching all the way up to the collarbone and under the armpit as well as the entirety of the breast. Or and the what breast are you tissue. searching for? I would say you're not searching for anything. I would say you're getting used to knowing what's normal for you. Fine. So if you are touching your breasts and your breast tissue or your testicles and you know what's normal for you, then if something changes, you will notice it. So if you notice a lump that is persistently there, doesn't go with your menstrual cycle if you bleed, that's something to take note of. If your skin changes, if you get dimpling, puckering, a rash, if your nipples invert, if they change colour, if they, if they start getting like pussy or crusty, there's a lot of signs and symptoms um, that you could be looking out for. But again, it's something that's different. So uh, if you're regularly aware of your body and you're looking at your body in the mirror, which I know we all hate to do, but it's your best friend. Yeah. Like own your body and go, okay, well, you know, I think people are scared of what they'll find, but actually if you're checking regularly, you'll know what's normal and what's not and you can get it dealt with so much quicker. Completely. I wasn't checking when I found my lump. So I'm very much an advocate for people like, checking and just getting that into part of self-care they need to teach it in schools man they 100% do but for for other things when perhaps it's not on the surface level uh, yeah what would you do then would you go and have a, year, a yearly checkup six months checkups oh I just say that you know your body better than anyone else if there is a change that is persistent and when I say persistent it's three weeks or more and doesn't come and go it gets stays the same or progressively worse you must go and get it checked by a GP if you're not satisfied with the GP go see another GP if you're not satisfied with that GP go to another GP go to an urgent care centre. Like you have to advocate for your health. So it's, you know your body better than anyone else. And I think it's better to get things. Um, and you know when you're being fobbed off as well. If you're not happy with the answer, go to another GP. If what you want is a scan, go in and say, I've got these symptoms, I want a scan. I want a referral because then it goes on your notes. And if you've asked for a referral and they've not given it to you, mm. they can get in trouble if something happens. And if someone is going through cancer and they feel very alone at the moment, what advice would you give to someone? The only way out is through, and this is all temporary. Even if you're living with it long-term, this moment where you're feeling this round of treatment, this is temporary. So just focus on each breath, each minute, each day. It will get better and you will feel more like yourself. Don't put any pressure on yourself to be anyone or do anything or show up when you don't feel like it. Um, and I would say they're going through it as well and they're feeling isolated, please tell your friends and your family that you do and know that there are communities out there. 
Girl vs. Cancer exists. Your black amazing black charity. Women, my We're going to leave a charity. link in the description below as well. We've got everyone go. Whether or not, you're, just go and check it out. Thank go you. Go yeah. and check it out 100%. Honestly, it's not a scary place. It's like really vibrant and amazing and cool and like. Yeah, it's, I'm really proud of the place we've created, but there's you'll be able to find loads of um, signposting to other organisations there as well that can support you. You're not alone. All you've got to do is go on Instagram, put hashtag cancer or hashtag breast cancer and you'll find your community. Um, so just make sure you do, make sure you know that. And also I want to shout out, if you do have breast cancer specifically um, and have access to get into London, Future Dreams House is in King's Cross. It's an incredible space you can go. You can get loads of free treatments or really like subsidized costs, yoga, therapy, like anything, just sense of community. It's a fantastic charity in place. So it wasn't around when I was sick. So I'd recommend going there. That's amazing. Yeah, they're amazing there. But, and also we can follow you on social media as well. Follow me, Go, follow, follow me. You. Slide into my DMs, please. It's lovely at the minute. It's you're, you're, I can't believe you're single. Bruv, I know. I can't believe you're single. I don't know what it is, man. You must man. be dating. No. What? I'm not even on the apps, man. Don't wait, what's your type? What about that? I would like to think I'm going to end up with a divorced dad. Because I don't know if I want to have children. I feel like I've lost a lot of my life to cancer in the pandemic. And I don't know if I've got it in me now to raise an infant. So I think Why? I kind of like... Why, though? I just don't know if I, I can't... I don't know if I could be asked. Are you raising Raymond? Yes, but he is not going to call me horrible names and tell me they hate me in like yeah, 14 that's, years that's time that's true that's true and also yeah i just I, there's loads of things but we'll see because i might meet someone and go i love you i want your child um it's a lot kids are a lot yeah they're a lot babe all my friends have kids this one this isn't coming from a place of no all my friends have kids and it's a lot it is a lot but i love them but i love that i can give them back i'm a great auntie would i be a great mum full time i don't know I don't know if I've got the patience. So I'd like the idea of like someone who has a child already so that I can be an amazing stepmom because I am amazing with kids. I love them so much. Mm. Um, and then also if they're divorced or been in a long-term relationship, they've kind of had the training that and emotional depth. Yeah, that's what I need. That's Anything what else? I need. Anything else? Um, I'd like them to be taller than me, which isn't hard because she's five foot two. No, I just think, do you know what? Be a really, really nice person. There you go. Be really kind of heart. Take good care of me. How's that? No, thank you so much. <laughs> for going. This has been one of the greatest episodes. Oh, thank you so it. much. We're going to leave all your social yeah. links, your charity links thank and you. everything. And can you say hello to Tina Oman for me? Because she loves Tina, you. Yeah. Tina, your mum. Not my mum. Your mum? That sounded aggressive. Tina, we love you. <laughs> Here we, we go. freaking love you. Here you go, mum. Okay. Thank you so much for going on Pro Parts. Yay! We'll see you every next week. Goodbye! Oh, no, that was amazing! Oh, so much fun!